Heavenly Father, I pray that you would amaze us here this morning. And so would you let your spirit do what you want to do today, that we would be in awe of you and the miraculous signs and wonders that you want to do here this morning. So awaken our souls that we might hear from you, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. When was the last time that you were amazed? I mean, really amazed. Not like, oh, wow, it's amazing. We got cake here at church today. That's really cool. That's amazing. No, I'm not talking about that kind of amazing or whatever price on you know, T-bone steaks that they have. Wow, that's amazing how cheap these are and how good. I'm not talking about that. I'm like really jaw-dropping, eye-popping, bugging out of your head. Kind of like, wow, that was amazing. I wonder how many people have those moments, and it makes me wonder, you know, why don't we have more of those kind of moments? And, and a lot of theologians have wrestled with that question, and, and some would say that, well, no, God doesn't do anything miraculous and amazing anymore. That's what he did back when the church started a couple thousand years ago, but God doesn't do that anymore. And, and there's uh, another group of people that would say, well, he does do that, but he only does that in certain sections of the world. And so they talk about the southern hemisphere right now that's on fire with the Spirit of God, that God is moving in an incredible way in South America and in Africa, and God's doing some incredible signs and wonders. And so it's almost like it's a game of hide and seek with God. Where's God moving? And let me go over there. And some people think it's, it's that. And, and I wonder if the same spirit, I believe, is still alive and God is alive and active in the hearts and lives of people, that maybe the reason we aren't amazed is because of us. And maybe a lot of us this morning just came here not expecting anything amazing to happen. I'll admit, I, I've done that before. I think over 25 years, how many times I've walked um, to church in the morning and have I not expected God to do anything miraculous? No lives to be transformed, no, no marriages to be reconciled, no, no families that have become more and more like Jesus, and no healings that have taken place. And so what I want to do today is use our text that was written, and I want to go through it uh, a little bit slower than we normally just read through it, because there's a benefit of doing that sometimes, of just slowing down and sort of absorbing yourself into the story and hearing what it is that God wants to speak to you. And so if you've got a Bible, I um, encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 3. Uh, there's some underneath the seats there in front of you. If you want to open up and use the old-fashioned Bible, the words that are printed on a page. If you love digital things, we use the U version Bible app, and you've got the whole outline for the message there. It's printed there. Or we've got printed sheets that some of you were handed as you walked in today, or we'll even project them for you uh, as well. So we want to start and just take a look Look at verse 1. At one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, we don't know much more than what Luke wrote about that encounter, but I wonder if part of Peter and John walking to the temple uh, wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do here. I wonder if isn't, this is what we always do. This is what I was taught to do since we were little boys. This is what everybody does. They go to the temple at three in the afternoon and we offer the afternoon sacrifice and we do their prayers and our praises. This is just ordinary. 
There's nothing extraordinary about this. And I wonder what was going through their mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with habits, by the way. There's nothing wrong with being in a habit of worshiping and praying and gathering together. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the problem comes is when we stop expecting God to do something miraculous. And so they go at 3 in the afternoon. That was the time that everybody gathered. But do you know what else significant happened at 3 in the afternoon? It's when Jesus died at 3 in the afternoon. Coincidentally, the afternoon sacrifice, that's when Jesus gave up his life. Now hold on to that. That'll come back later. Look at verse 2. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going in to the temple courts. Now, the danger of reading stories like this in Scripture sometimes is like, oh, it's, it's just a story. Except this is a, a true story. This really happened. This was a real man who has never gotten up to walk. He never took his first step as a little toddler. And it was a real place that they took him in the temple. This is a picture of the temple courts, by the way. That's still standing all these years later the temple gate called Beautiful. And so his lot in life was to be picked up, put on a mat, and taken to that temple gate called Beautiful. And that's where he would spend every day of his life, asking for money. Some of you are like, wow, that's really sort of sad. I can't imagine that being my lot in life, and that's all I do every single day is go into the temple and beg people for money. This is not the way God intended it to be, by the way. When Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and going into the promised land and they're establishing their covenant and God says, this is the way I want you to live. One of the ways God described he wanted them to live in Deuteronomy chapter 15 is there is not going to be a needy person among you because you're going to take care of the needy people among you. Now, this isn't socialism. Uh, what this is is loving people well. These are people that can't take care of themselves. And so that's not going to happen in my community, God says, of believers and so it makes me wonder, what happened? Man, what happened over all these years that now the only thing that they know what to do is to let's take this guy to the temple? Because maybe as people are coming into the temple, uh, they're going to feel guilty about something they've done. And maybe they'll catch my eye and they'll hear me begging for money and maybe they'll feel guilty enough to dig down in their pocket and throw a few coins uh, in my little bag here and I can go home and I can eat off that and, and make a living that way. That is what I do every single day of my life. And so we get to verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And of course he did. He was very good at asking for money. Uh, any money, please? Do you have any money you can give to me? I just, just a little bit of money, please. Just any spare coins you got? Can, can somebody give me a little bit of money? Just I need a little something just so I can buy some food. Any, could, would you mind? Just a little. Anything you could give would be great. Thank you. Anything? Please. Anybody? He's good at asking for money. And he's asking for his deepest perceived need. What I need is I need money. Because that's the only way I can get food. And that's the only way I can survive. And that's the only way I can live. And, and this is the only way I know how to do it is really just to beg. And so he's asking for his deepest perceived need. And so what happens next? Peter looked straight at him, as did John. I, I love that little encounter. 
I, I don't know about you, this is again a little personal confession, but you know, you see the people on the side of the street corner and, and they're homeless and maybe they got a sign and they're holding that up. Why is it easier to just look the other way? And I don't want to really make eye contact because if I make eye contact, then I, then I got to wrestle with my thoughts and well, I, I don't know, and do I really have any money? I'm not sure if I got anything. I don't want to roll down the window. I don't want to, I don't want to, just easier for me to pass right on by. So the fact that Peter and John looked right at him, like we're not avoiding this situation. <laughs> Let's walk right into this. And I wonder when God's spirit began to stir in them that this is one of those amazing moments, Peter and John, don't miss this. Don't just walk by this guy that you've walked by every single time you've walked into this temple. I want you to stop this time. And so they stop and they look right at him. Then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave him his full attention, expecting to get something from him. And imagine he didn't make eye contact with a lot of people. Because that's probably pretty uncomfortable too. I really don't want to look in your eyes. Because I look in your eyes, all I'm going to see is pity. Or I'm going to see the, oh, woe is you. I don't, I don't need to see that in your face. Thank you very much. Just throw some coins in my little bag so you can move on with your life and I can move on with my life. Or maybe I don't want to look into your eyes and, and see what you're thinking. Like, oh, I wonder what you did. I wonder how you angered God that this is your lot in life, that you've been born this way and this is what you have to go through life with. I, want, I don't need to look in your face and wonder about the questions you're asking. But he looks right up at him. And now he's expecting to get something. Verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. And imagine he's probably finishing the sentence at this point. Oh, yes, no, I've heard this story before. Silver or gold, I don't have. I don't, I don't have any money, sorry. I only brought enough for my offering in the temple. Uh, get me on the way out. Um, I, I gave at the office. Um, I, I gave to you last week. Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. Excuse me, walk? I don't know if you've noticed. You probably have because I've been here every single day of my life. I don't walk. I don't know, maybe you've seen people carrying me in on a mat. I don't walk. What do you mean walk? Get up and walk. And I wonder how much time elapsed between walk and what happened next. I wonder if he was thinking, really? Thank you guys very much for making fun of me. I appreciate that. I wonder if there was enough time for maybe Peter and John even to reflect, like, oh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have said that. <laughs> maybe that wasn't God speaking. Maybe that was pizza last night, and, and we're just mistaken. Maybe we, we made a bad mistake in doing this. What if, what if Jesus doesn't heal him? What if he doesn't get up and, and walk? What if that happens? So I wonder how much time took place. But, but I also, you know, wondered this. You know, would he, would he have been satisfied with money? They would have looked at him and, here, here's, here's a little bit of money. I did find some after all. Would he have been satisfied? Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he never walked a day in his life, and all of a sudden his muscles are strong. Between my freshman and, and sophomore year, I broke my leg uh, pretty severely playing football. 
and I had one of those huge plaster casts. You remember those things before the fiberglass? Yeah, thank you. for Remember, and it was all the way up my leg, right up to my groin area. It weighed about 1,800 pounds, I think, carrying that thing around. I had old wooden crutches. I don't know, like, my parents couldn't afford the aluminum ones, but I had the old, you know, rickety old wooden crutches that I'm going around on. And it was not just going to be six, it was going to be eight weeks. So I had two full months in this cast in August and September in Michigan. Now I know, like, here it's hot in Texas. I get it. Um, but what I grew up with, that was still, that was the hottest two months of the year in August and September. So I'm in there, and finally I'm counting down the days, because you do. When you have a cast on, you know what day you're supposed to go to the doctor to get that thing off. And so the day came, and I'm anxious, like, let's go, Mom, get in the car. And we go to the car, and you sit on the table. For those of you who've been through this procedure before, you know, they, they come in there, how you feeling? Great, let's get this thing off, okay. And then they pull out that little saw, you know what I'm talking about? And I remember, like, as a kid, I'm freaking out. I'm like, have you done this? Yeah, I've done a lot of these people, but it's at night, and you're cutting. Like, just make sure you don't get, I'm, trust me, I'm, I've done this, so you'll be okay. And he cuts the thing off, and he opens it up. And I remember the first thing, I'm like, what is that smell? I'm like, oh, my. It's like, yeah, that's you. That's what that is. That's you over eight weeks that hasn't had a bath in, on that leg. I'm like, oh, that. and so they pull off all the gauze and everything else is around there. And I look at my leg, and it's, it's like a pencil thickness kind of thing. I'm like, what happened to my leg? It's like half the size of the other leg. And evidently, the doctor's heard this routine before. He's like, no, it's all right. It's going to grow back. That's called atrophy. Your muscles are atrophy if they're not used, and you haven't used it for two weeks. So it's going to take, how long is it going to take before it looks like my other leg. I can't go to school with like one pencil leg and the other with a muscle. Like that looks weird. Like, no, it'll be fine. It's going to grow back quickly. Don't worry. And so I thought back to that as I was reading through this story. I'm like, this guy's never walked. His muscles have never worked. And he gets up, he reaches out his hand and he stands and his legs and his ankles became strong. Verse eight. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Man, that's got to be a cool moment for him and for Peter and John, too. Like, wow, I, I, I said it. I wasn't, wasn't not sure what I was expecting, but here he's walking. And then they went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Man, walking is not enough now. I gotta go, I, what's the next step? Jumping, I guess? Jumping. I'll jump all around the place, and I'm going to praise God as I'm jumping. I can't believe this is the best day of my life. Now, I don't have to beg anymore. I can go get a job. I can work for myself. I can provide for that. I can get around. Nobody has to carry me in a mat. This is incredible. I am running around. I'm jumping around, and I'm praising God all over the place. Then they recognized him as the same man who used to beg at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And he received a gift he didn't even ask for. He didn't ask to walk. He asked for money. This is where we can change a little bit in the story and insert ourselves into the story, if we would, just a little bit. Because it's easy to say, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be like Peter and John, right? And go around and tell people in the name of Jesus, get up and walk or get up and be healed or get up and whatever. Yeah, that's good. But I think a better position for us in the story is to put ourselves as the beggar. Because we had nothing. The Bible puts it very clearly. We, we were dead. There was no spiritual life in us. The only reason we love God is because he first loved us. 
And one day, God looked at our dead bodies and our dead souls and, and our dead way of life, and God says, I, I want you to be mine. I'm going to breathe into you my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit into you. I'm going to awaken your soul that you could know me. I'm going to die. So all of your mistakes and all your failures, all your shortcomings, all your shame is going to be nailed to a cross, and you don't have to worry about it ever. I'm going to set you free from all of that at three in the afternoon. I'm going to die on a cross and set you free. So let me ask you this question. What's your response to the grace of God? Because all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you all got something you didn't ask for. And you certainly didn't deserve. So what's our response to the grace of God? Maybe we need to do a little bit more walking around and a little bit more jumping and a little bit more praising God. Maybe there needs to be a, a little more excitement in our souls when we realize what God has done for us. Maybe we need to take a lesson from the beggar and go, well, if, if this has been done to me in my life, what naturally would I do? I would jump around and let everybody know. And I imagine this morning, if God does a miraculous work here today, and somebody is healed, and for the first time they're getting up and walking, I imagine when you go out to eat after church and you're sitting at your restaurant, you're not talking about the weather. You're like, you're not going to believe what happened today. Man, I was there when it happened. I saw him get up out of a wheelchair, and he began to walk, and then he was jumping around the room. And, and the thing that bothers me is I'm like, we don't expect that to happen. I would imagine most of us here today didn't come expecting God to do anything amazing. And what a shame. Because God wants to transform people's lives. God wants to set people free. God wants to heal people. This is what he does. Look at verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running into them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? I'm not sure that's a really good question. Why does this surprise What do you mean, why does this surprise us? Because we come to the temple every day at 3 o'clock for the afternoon sacrifice and prayer, and we've never seen anything like this before. We come, we do our little prayers, we do our little sacrifice, and we go home, and we go about it the rest of our day and the rest of our lives. What do you mean, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if as if it were by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk. I tell you, this is the thing that's so encouraging for me. I don't have the power to do anything. But Jesus, Jesus has all the power. All the power is from Jesus alone. God doesn't need you to do any miracles. God is fine on his own. He can do whatever he wants. But boy, when, when God uses you to touch the hearts and lives of people, God could have healed that man without Peter and John. But isn't that awesome that God chose to use Peter and John as a venue for the miracle, to distribute that miracle, to proclaim that miracle over that man? Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't you like to see that? I realize that even as I say that, that there are some people like, no, I, I, I'm not sure I would want to really see that if I'm honest. Because if I start seeing God doing a miraculous signs and wonders, that means I, I have to change. Because now it's not all about me anymore, and it's not about my comfortable little life. It's about the glory of God. And so I wonder, 
if we're not the peace that's getting in the way of the Spirit of God just unleashing His power and His majesty. So what does Peter go on to say to the group? Verse 19. Repent. Repent then. You've come and you haven't expected God to do anything. Repent. God, I really don't want to see you do anything because I'm just comfortable the way I am. Repent. Change. Turn around and turn to God. God, I, I want to see you in your power and I want to see your, your glory. I want to see your, your miracles, God. I want to see you're alive and well so that your sins might be wiped out. That's a beautiful thing when God awakens your soul, that assurance that your sins have already been paid for and, and forgiven. I never have to think about those any longer. What a beautiful thing. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So this morning, what, what do you need from the Lord today? What do you really need? Maybe like the beggar, you're thinking, well, really all I need is some money. That's really all I want. Uh, maybe there's something deeper that's going on in your soul that you need today. And we're going to pray for people in just a moment. I want to encourage you to do that. But I, I want to share just really personally um, with you, because this is the time of year we work on our budget here. We're on a fiscal year. It starts in August, ends in July. And so for the last month or so, we've been working on our budget. And and frankly, as we're looking at all the numbers and going through, we always start with giving and, and where we're at. And we're, you know, really work hard at being good stewards of everything that, that everybody so generously gives. And, and one of the things, I'll just be brutally honest with you, because I, I don't know, I feel like there's nothing better to do than be honest. Um, I, I'm looking at those numbers and, and the giving numbers that we've had this last year over last year, uh, grown a little bit, but it's really relatively flat. And so it's frustrating when you start looking at a budget and you're looking at, oh, insurance rates are going up and the cost of this is going up and the cost of this is going up and, and giving is, is sort of here. And, and I was really, just to be brutally honest, I was, so, I was really discouraged. I'm like, God, you're doing some amazing things here. Oh, we got Muslims who are coming to know Jesus here. Almost every single week I meet somebody new. It's like, I haven't been to church in forever. Somebody invited me to come and I feel like God was here and he spoke to me. And we keep hearing story. I'm like, God, you're doing amazing things and you're transforming lives. And, and I, I saw that. I'm like, we're not going to be able to do like, the things that I really felt like you were leading us to do, God. And it's frustrating to see that. And so one of the dangers is when you're feeling discouraged is to stay in that discouragement. And so I called up a good friend of mine. We pray every single week. And I said, Eric, I just need to talk to you for a minute because I feel really discouraged. He said, so what's going on? And I told him what I just told you. And, and he says, well, uh, you know, let me give you a different perspective, John, because all the churches in our circuit, um, not a single one of them uh, is growing in their giving, and uh, none of them are staying. They're all declining in their giving. And, and so, one, just take a moment to thank God that you're in that position and not in a reverse. I'm like, you're, you're right. And, and I was praying around the campus this morning with a group of guys, and and I was walking around, I happened to be outside, and I just paused, and I could feel the Spirit of God tapping me on the shoulder. Just, just look at these facilities. I mean, there are, there are gathering bodies of believers all over the world um, that would marvel at, at what we just take for granted week in and week out. You got comfortable chairs, you got nice decorations we can put up, got a great sound system, got a great lobby, we got free cake. And I thought, God, how, how selfish and, and how arrogant uh, for me to think that and be discouraged by that. Lord, it's yours. Everything is yours. 
church is not mine, it's yours, Jesus. We're here for your glory. And, and whatever you decide to give us, God, is what we will use. And we'll be thankful for every moment of that. And so maybe you need a spirit of refreshing for whatever's going on in your life today. I'm like, well, why would I need to come up and pray? And I want to invite the prayer partners if you want to come up here and uh, line up here. Well, why do I need to come up? Can I just pray on my own? Yeah, you can pray on your own. But I tell you what's been my experience. My experience over the years is God more often works through people. Like he did with Peter and John. God could have healed him without him. He chose to use Peter and John. And so these are people we love, we pray over, and, and they love you. And so why not? Why not come forward? And why not let them pray over you today and unleash a miracle in your life? Maybe that's exactly what you need today. And so as the kids come back in, uh, we're going to sing some songs in a moment. But I, I want us to pray first. And then as you're ready during these songs, come on up and let them pray for you. You need a spirit of refreshing. We want to pray over that today. You need reconciliation in your marriage or your family. Let us pray over that today. Because at three o'clock when Jesus died on a cross, he set people free. And God wants to set people free here this afternoon. So let's pray for that. Would you join me? God, Heavenly Father, I so thank you that you are alive and well. Lord, your spirit continues to move and you desire to do miraculous signs and wonders. And Lord, I pray, would you do that here this morning? Lord, I pray for a special anointing over your prayer warriors that are standing before us here today. Lord, that you would be speaking through them so that you might speak to these people that you so dearly love. And so Lord, unleash miracles here today. Do miraculous signs and wonders that we can be amazed at what you want to do. And so set people free here today. Jesus, come. This is your time. We dedicate it to you. We lift up the name of Jesus. And so come, Jesus, and hear the cries of our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.